Well, we're in the middle of a series. We've been learning about the importance of remembrance. And in our first sermon, we used 1 Timothy 1, verse 1 to 6. And that was our foundation text. So in 1 Timothy 1, verse 1 to 6, Paul writes to his spiritual son, Timothy, and says to him to call to remembrance the faith that was first in his grandmother, Louis, and in his mother, Eunice, And he says, I'm persuaded that the same faith is in you. And then he reminds Timothy to fan into flame the gift of God that's in him. So Paul, that word remember, infers that he should intentionally retain certain memories. Almost like when you press a rewind button and he needs to press that rewind button in his mind and replay the times that God has been faithful to him in the past. And we noted in that sermon how we need to remember how God delivered us, how God healed us, rescued us, protected us. And then we went through stats of what we went through during the COVID-19. And we reflected on that a bit and remembered how God has carried us through the COVID-19 pandemic. Of course, we didn't come through without any scars, without any pain. Nonetheless, we are grateful to God. Amen. Amen. And then last week, I begurav. Nama amen last week. The amens were not forthcoming last week. But we noted that remembering is something that we can learn to do as a choice. And in turn, it helps us to develop what we call spiritual sensitivities. And we looked at seven keys that will help us remember. Today, I want to speak on the subtitle, When God Remembers, because God does remember us. God never forgets. That God never forgets, we should ask the question that if God doesn't forget, what does then does God, rem- what does God remember then? You know, as human beings, we can forget good deeds of people, but God promises that he will not forget us. God will never forget you. Tell your neighbor, God will never forget you. So we're going to look at scripture, and when we use that word to be remembered in this context, we're referring to it in four ways or four different contexts. Number one, to recall something or someone who has been forgotten. There are times in our lives where it may seem like God has forgotten about us, particularly when we go through trial and tribulations, when you've been praying for a long time, doing things, and things are just not working. I don't know if you've ever been there where it looks like you are just moving from one crisis to another. And with all the praying and all the whatever, it looks like the heavens are brass, and God's not hearing. To show you in Scripture that God does hear us. Even when we are caught up in a storm and in a crisis, God hasn't forgotten about us. Secondly, we will use that word remember to mean to play back or to represent an event or a person. And certain events, God does remember them and remembers them concerning you. Thirdly, to bear in mind. God bears you in mind. And finally, divine attention. When God remembers in the context of Scripture, that's when He intervenes divinely. And we're going to see that in some of the scriptures that we're going to read. So first of all, we need to note that God remembers his covenant. God is a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. 
When you read the scriptures, you know it. When God made a covenant, he kept to it. He keeps to it. Because that's the nature of God. Well, in our case, his covenant, of course, will be the Bible, will be his word. And God does keep his promises, and we can rely on it. In Genesis chapter 7, we read a very interesting story that I want to use as a sort of a, a backdrop for what we are talking about today. God instructs Noah to build an ark for himself, his family, and the animals. Because judgment was going to come on the entire earth, and the entire earth would be destroyed in a flood. So Noah, in faith, obeys God, builds an ark, right? The rain comes down, destroys every living thing on the earth, but Noah and his family are in the ark. Now note, Noah has obeyed God. He has done what God has said. But in spite of that, a storm comes. Thank God the storm doesn't destroy him. But he finds himself caught in the midst of a storm. In the same way that we can obey God, and sometimes because of obeying God, we can get into a storm. So he's in the storm. After having obeyed God, he doesn't know when it's going to end because oftentimes God never tells you when it's going to end. All right? You're just moving from one crisis to another or it's a storm that is a long-drawn storm and you're wondering if it will ever end. I don't know if you've been there. You've been in that situation where you've gone to bed and you hoped when you woke up the next morning things would be different. Or maybe you hoped that what you were going through was a dream. So you closed your eyes and opened your eyes and it was still the same you in the same situation. And the Bible tells us that 120 days later, which is almost four weeks, one month, only then does it stop, the storm. And Noah is still in the ark. And it's almost certain that probably in that time, he thought God had forgotten about him. But God never forgets about us. God always is true to his word. He may not come through at the time when we want. He may not respond at the time when we expect. Mara, God being God, he will respond. Can I hear a good amen there? God will respond. And so in Genesis chapter 9, we read from verse 8. Then God said to Noah, and to his sons with him. This is after the storm had passed. I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on the earth, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant. Note, this is the sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. So God said, I'm putting a rainbow to remind me and to remind you and to show you that I am true to my covenant and I will remember my covenant. So every time it rains and you see a rainbow there, that's a reminder to us, a reminder to God and a statement God is making, I will keep my covenant. Now note, though floods have since affected 
pockets or parts of our planet. But since this covenant promise, we've never had the entire planet destroyed simultaneously. Because God remembers his covenant and he confirms it in this instance by the appearance of a rainbow. Why? Because God is a covenant-making God and a covenant-keeping God. This then should form the basis of our bold prayers and our faith-filled prayers, knowing fully well that God is a God who keeps covenant. Well, this is demonstrated in Exodus 32. I believe Moses had an understanding of this. Before I read, let me give you the background. We all know the story of the children of Israel and how God delivered them from Egypt. And the Bible says he delivered them with a mighty hand. He did signs and wonders, incredible things. Brought them through the Red Sea, crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. God provided manna for them to eat and quails to eat. God gave them water from a rock, uh, the pillar of fire by night, the pillar of cloud by day. God protected them from the serpents and the scorpions in the desert. I mean, it was great. Their shoes didn't wear out. Their clothes didn't wear out. The Bible says there was not even one feeble person among them. Now, you would think that if you were to experience that, your faith would be great faith. That's not so with us as human beings. Because, you see, faith doesn't come by seeing. Faith doesn't come by looking at God being at work. Faith is of the heart, the Bible tells us. It doesn't come by seeing. You would think, you know, people, I used to think as a young Christian, if Jesus was to appear, then my faith will be, if Jesus was to appear to me, I just touched him like this, my faith would be stronger. Then I read the Bible, then I noted that there are instances where Jesus appeared to people and they didn't believe it was him. Some of us, we think, maybe if God can just speak and I can hear his audible voice, maybe I will know that God speaks. Well, there was a time in the time of Christ when God spoke out of heaven and the people thought it thundered. So the reality is that faith is of the heart. Really, faith is a choice that we make. We choose to believe. Let me explain to you. Let me illustrate this to you. We go to the, to the, to the store and we buy a carton, a bottle of milk. And we bring it home. And outside it's written, you know, a pasteurized or homogenized milk. And, and, and then someone asks you what's in the bottle and you confidently say, it's milk. It's milk. Now, you were not there when that milk was packaged away. No, no, don't give me that look. You were not there. You were not, you were, you were not there. But you confidently tell this person, no, this is milk. And just to show how much you believe it's milk, you pour it in a glass and drink it. And you tell me, you even explain to me how healthy it is. Look at your neighbor and say, no, don't try to be in denial. That's, that's. So what am I saying? With faith, it is not just believing that that bottle has milk. It's believing the man who made the cow that produced the milk. If you can believe the milk company that they are true to what they have said, we surely can believe God, the creator of heaven and earth in what he says about himself, and we can believe that. So, in, in Exodus 32, I think, the Bible doesn't say that, I think Moses understood this concept. He really understood that God is a covenant-keeping God. So, we read in this chapter 
that the children of Israel, in spite of all the miracles that God had done, they walk away from God. Moses is up on the mountain receiving the commandments. The people in the meantime get tired of waiting for him. They go to Aaron. They say, we don't know what has happened to this guy and his God. Right? We've been waiting here. We don't know what has happened. Why don't we rather make ourselves a God and worship that God? Right? So they, they collect all their jewelry. They start making this God. And God is angry. He loses it. And we're going to read it just now. I mean, you should just listen to the terminology that God is using here. God is angry. Note what it says in verse 7 of Exodus 32. Then the Lord said to Moses, go down because your people. He's so angry. He's even calling them Moses' people. I mean, I <laughs> he says, go down because your people whom you brought out of Egypt have become corrupt. Hey! They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them. They have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it. They have sacrificed to it. And they have said, these are your gods of Israel who brought you up out of Egypt. God is angry. Verse 9, I've seen these people, the Lord said. They're a stiff-necked people. He's very angry. Verse 10, he says, now leave me alone. Can you believe God saying Leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them, that I may destroy them. And God gives him a good proposition. He says, then I will make you a great nation. God says, man, I'll kill them all, but I'll start with you. I'll spare you. It's a good deal. I mean, if it was some of us, we'd say, yeah, God, just go for it. Just take them all. Start with me, God. <laughs> Instead of that, listen to what Moses says. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord. He said, oh, Lord. Why should your anger burn against your people? Can you imagine? God and Moses are arguing. God says that your people, Moses says, ah, they are your people. Why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, say it was with evil intent that you brought them out to kill them in the mountains, to wipe them off the face of the earth? Hey, Moses, this guy, I tell you, he says to God, turn from your fierce anger. Listen, guys, you don't talk to God like this when he's in a good mood. <laughs> what gives him the guts to talk like this when God is in a bad mood? God says, I'm going to kill them all. I'm going to wipe them all. I'm just wipe everybody off. Moses says, no, you, 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 you turn from your fierce anger. Hey. He says, relent and do not bring disaster on your people. Verse 13 is the key. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, whom you swore by yourself. He's saying in essence, you made a covenant. And I know as a God who is a covenant-making God and a covenant-keeping God, you can't turn from your covenant no matter how angry you are. You know, God, God, God's not like us. God's not like us. You know, I don't know if you've been there where you are so angry, you broke your word. Yeah, you, you, you said, no, you, I'm taking my stuff. They said, but you said you are giving it to me. He says, no, nah, I've changed my mind. <laughs> but, but Moses knows something about God that we should know about God. That God doesn't depend on how angry he is. He depends on the covenant that he's made. And those are the terms that God is going to deal with us. And when we deal with God, let's base it not on our good works. Not on our church. Base it on covenant. Because God can't turn from his covenant. 
Can I hear a good amen in the house? Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, Israel, whom you saw by your own self. I'll make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and I'll give your descendants all this land. Verse 14. Very interesting verse. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster. The King James Bible says, and the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. The New Living Translation says, so the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster. God can never bring himself to turn from his word. Never. That's one character of God that we can rely on and we can depend on. That's we need to familiarize ourselves with God's covenant and deal with God on the basis of the covenant. Number two, God remembers not only his covenant, he remembers his promises and his word. God remembers his promises. Be aware that even words that have been spoken over your life, maybe in prayer, when God said something to you about your life, any prophecy, as Paul says to Timothy, he says, the prophecies that have been spoken over your life, Timothy, take those promises and wage good warfare with them. You know, there are times when things get so dark, it's, it may seem like what God has said will never happen in your life. It's important in times like that for us to remember what God said or to remember what his word says. It's important for us. Now, I want to use the example of Nehemiah because I think this example of Nehemiah talks to us, particularly us in this, in our country, of course, other countries of the world. But you know, we're going through a very difficult time in our country. Everywhere you go, it's like gloom and doom. You know, I was talking to someone the other day and he said, but what is it that is right in our country? What do you say that's right? I said, tell me. He said, there's nothing right. He says, you look at the water situation, we have a crisis. Electricity, we have a crisis. On the roads, we have uh, many people passing, no jobs, and, 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 and the politics are not good. This and this, and, and, and this person really sunk into doom and gloom. Now I get you. I get you. As a human being, on a human level, doom and gloom certainly seems to be on the horizon. But see, when you read the Bible, you'll note that the historical time in which we are, maybe not exact, but we're not the only ones who've ever had to go through periods like this. There are people in the past who in their own nation have gone through a time of gloom and doom. And the example I want to use is that of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, he comes to God and he prays to God and reminds God of what God said in his word. And the reason is that the nation of Israel had been scattered and had gone into exile, of course because of their disobedience. But then they came out of exile according to the prophecy that had been given and coming back to their land, they did their best to rebuild their country once more. Because you know the work of rebuilding is a difficult job. So they worked so hard, tried to rebuild the place, tried to build up even the wall. And unfortunately, you know, when you get to a point where it looks like your project is never coming to an end and you're not going to get there, they totally got discouraged and totally dispirited. It is in a time like that that a man like Nehemiah was raised by God in the same way that God wants to raise some of you to be the Nehemiahs of our time. Maybe not to try and rescue the whole country, but wherever you are, 
in the space where you are, you can be the Nehemiah of the time. Nehemiah rises in a time of crisis. Because you see, people were so discouraged. People felt so disheartened. It's one thing for people to be discouraged and to stop working, but what's worse, the morale of the people had broken down. See, once the morale of the people breaks down, almost easy, it's almost impossible to resuscitate it. But it's in times like that where we find a person like Nehemiah. And in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 8, he prays a very interesting prayer. He says, please remember what you told your servant Moses. You said to him, if you are faithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I'll bring you back to the place I'll have chosen for my name. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hands are your servant. Note verse 11. Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Note what it says. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Nehemiah had to have other people liaise with him, collaborate with him, help him in the project. Because oftentimes you need other people who will join in with you. Nehemiah is saying, Lord, I know my prayer will be answered. Hear my prayer because I'm basing my prayer on the promise that you have made. I'm basing my prayer on what you have said. And that's my question to you. What is it that God said about your life in your prayer time, in your family? What is it that God said about the church you are leading, the company you are leading? What is it that God said? Well, this time of gloom and doom, even if it may affect you, God can still pull you through even in a time like this. We note that Nehemiah, his prayer is to remind God of his word. Because God will always be faithful to his word. God will keep to his word. In Isaiah 55, note what Isaiah says. God is speaking to Isaiah. He says, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and they do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and it will achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God says, my word that comes back to me, it won't come back to me empty. When I've said something, when I've spoken something, when I've given a promise, when I've given my word, my word will never come back to me without having accomplished anything. The question is, how does God's word go back to him? How does it go back to him? It goes back to him in the form of the prayers we pray based on the promise he made. When Nehemiah prays, he reminds God what he said. In the same way, we remind God of what his word says. God says, if you pray in line with my word, in line with my promises, I'll make sure that what I said achieves the purpose. It will have effect. It will have impact when you return it to me. So let's learn to pray prayers that are based on the word of God. Let's learn to base our faith and our prayer, not on our denomination, not on who we are, 
not on our feelings, but base our prayers on the Word of God. As our prayers are sent into the heavens, God says, you are returning my word to me. And when you return my word to me, I will make sure it bears fruit. You know, one preacher said something I never thought of. You know, it never occurred to me. Because, you know, sometimes when statements are written in the Bible, you, don't, you sort of don't get the background to the statement. You know, it's just a statement that's made. It says in the book of Exodus, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then he went and he called Moses to go and deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt. I'm paraphrasing. And he says, maybe what we don't realize is that it's very possible that of the people who were in slavery, they started praying and reminding God of what he said. Which means this. This is important. I know sometimes we sort of, God is sovereign and I know you know, it's true. It's God's sovereign. God does whatever he wants to do. Anytime he wants to do, we don't have to ask him. He does it when he wants to do it. Like somebody said, if God wants to kill me, he'll kill me. If God wants to heal me, he'll heal me. If God wants to honor God, you know, God will do whatever. However, nine times out of ten, when you read the Bible, you'll note that in instances where God moved in the lives of people, it was in response to somebody's prayer. Yeah. No, go and read it. Go and study it. Go and study it. Actually, in the New Testament, one minister actually made an actual study of all the miracles that Jesus performed. All of them. You know, you read all the four Gospels, each one of them, and he said this. He says 99% of the healings that took place, the miracles that took place in the New Testament, it was because men initiated it. It wasn't Jesus sovereignly just going to heal people. It was because somebody came, somebody prayed, somebody asked a question, somebody approached him. In other words, when you move, God moves. Oh yeah, oh yeah. When you move, God moves. But remember, you must move on the basis of what he promised. God can do what he promised. God can do what he said. We have to keep it within the confines of his word. So as our prayers ascend it to heaven, let them be based on what the word of God says. Let them be based on the promises of God. Thirdly, God remembers your acts of kindness. Very important. Matthew 10, 42, it says, and if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciples, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. What does it mean? You are not going to lose your reward? God's going to remember you. God's going to remember you. In Acts chapter 10, we read a very interesting story of this man by the name of Cornelius, who was not a Jew but a Gentile, was not a believer, right? However, this man, the Bible tells us, he used to pray regularly and he used to give gifts to the poor. Now note, he's not a believer, not a Jew, right? But he's praying, he's giving gifts to the poor. Now let me, let me say something. It's very important for us to understand how principles work. There are principles that God has set in motion, right? And principles work for anybody. Laws work for anybody, all right? For instance, the law of gravity, it doesn't choose who you are. Right? Wherever you are in the world, 
No matter how old you are, no matter which country you come from, no matter what you believe, gravity is going to work. All right. Now, if you, if you tell us how spiritual you are and you go to a 16-story building and you get right to the top and you say, because I've got great faith, I'm going to jump off this and nothing's going to happen to me. Let me tell you, darling, you're going to land not in peace, but in pieces. Okay? Because gravity doesn't care how long you've prayed. It doesn't care who you are, whether you believe or Gravity, it's a principle. It's a law that God has set in motion. And we need to learn that as the Christian community. As believers, because sometimes we don't understand when we see things working out in somebody's life who's not a believer. Let me give you an example. If you learn the principles of having a good marriage, you'll have a good marriage whether you are a Christian or not. I, I see your amen is not convincing. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but you can be a born again Christian, spirit filled, walking on the ceiling, hanging from the chandelier, and have a terrible marriage because you're violating every principle in the book that makes a good marriage. So we need to learn that. So when it comes to the principle of giving to the poor, there's a lot of people who don't even believe in God. They don't even believe in God. They give generously. And in return, God does reward them. God does remember them. Why? Because it's a principle. But then you may have Christian people who are followers of Christ we don't do that. Look at your neighbor and say, is he talking about somebody you know? <laughs> huh? So this man, Cornelius, he's praying every day. He's giving to the poor. Note what Acts chapter 10, verse 30 says. And I'm reading the NIV. Verse 30 and 31. It says, and suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, Watch, God has heard your prayers and remembered your gifts to the poor. Yeah, I tell you when, you, when you, when you do something for the poor people, God will remember. God remembered Cornelius so much that he sent an apostle all the way from Joppa to come all the way and preach to this man and his entire family. That's what it meant to God. That's what it meant to God. God saw that this guy, he's a good guy. He's not a follower of Christ. He's not a believer yet. But I'm going to make sure he gets on the right path. And I'm responding to him based on his giving. God will remember you. Proverbs 19:17 in the New Translation reads, If you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord. And he will repay you. You know, I was saying in the first service, I think one of the things all of us need to learn, all over the world, if you were unfortunate enough, if I was unfortunate enough to have grown up in abject poverty, and as a result, had to learn to scramble for a living and fight for survival, sometimes the default mechanism of that is that as I grow up, even if I might be well off, the tendency could be to hoard and not to give. Because I just had to fight for every scrap when I was poor. But see, we need to allow God to change us. You say, yeah, well and good, this is where you were. It's what you used to have, but we must learn to be generous. Why? Generosity is the character of God and the character of the kingdom of God. Oh yeah. 
Haya. We still need to learn to give and share with others. Yeah. 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 I mean, we have a saying. I don't know how to say it in English for the, uh, sisters and brothers from Crossroads. I'll ask the people behind you to explain to you. I don't know how it's, I don't know how to say it in English. I don't know how to say it in English. Maybe you, everybody in front, you can, you can just turn and explain to them. I don't know how to explain and just explain. You know, it, we, we say in our language, Banaba Mutu. Yeah. How do you say it in English? If, if, if we are siblings, if we, if we are siblings, we can actually share the head of a locust. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I think I got it, right? Mm, I think I got it. So, so as siblings, we, we can share the head of a locust. No matter how small it is, we learn to share. Yeah? In God's kingdom, we learn to share. We learn to be generous. Yeah? God says, give to the poor. God says, note what it says. It says, you are lending to the Lord. God says, you, you're lending to me. Yeah? And I will repay you. And when God repays, it comes with interest. Hey! Lots of interest. And the, the interest is not only in monetary terms. It's not just in terms of resources, money, and so on. But all other things, God intervenes. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10 and 11, it says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue. He will not forget. In other words, he'll remember. Oh yeah, God will remember. God will remember. Keep on doing the good works. God will remember. You may be like Noah, it might be taking too long for God to remember. God will remember. God will remember. You know, you know the, 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 the area where I grew up in, in Rockville, like I've said in the past, not far from there, it's a, you know, I, I grew up in Rockville. Not far from us is another, I don't know if you call it what, a suburb. Ne? Called uh, Morocco North. We used to call it number one. And not far from us was Mulap. You know, we in Rockville, you know, even back then, things were slightly better for us because we, we, we had electricity. You know, we, we had electricity. Most of the places, they had candles and so on. And, and, and people in our area seem to be a little bit more well-off. We are not rich. Mara, we were, we were not poor. You know, we're in between. I don't know. We, you are almost poor and you are almost rich. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know what you call that. At least we went to bed with food, even if it was not much, but at least something. But the people in number one, hey, that community, it was bad. And I mean, when you, when, and when you are poor and you call somebody poor, and yet you are poor, that's really bad. That's really bad. And you know, over the, and you know, society being society and people without Christ being, you know, the way we are. People in Rockville used to look down upon the people there. I mean, really. I mean, many of the homes there, things were really not well because many of the people there were from Lesotho, actually. And there, the houses in Lesotho, they would have to commute and travel. And things were really bad. Children there went to school without shoes, torn clothes, all kinds of things. It was really bad. And you know, fast forward, 20-something years later, go back to the same area. <laughs> and, and you see, number one, the, the kids grew up, who grew up in abject poverty, grew up, went to school, studied, came back, rebuilt their houses, double-story house, whatever, took care of their parents, and then you go to us, Rockville. 
houses run down, and so on. You see? Because, see, the, the, the important thing is to note that, see, when God has blessed you, right, just, just, just remember not to be high-minded. Just, just be, be kind to... Oh, yeah. Be kind to somebody who's less fortunate. And even as we give, let, let, let's not give out of making them feel guilty. Let's do it out of commitment to Christ. And, and never expect anything back. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Number, number what? Number four. God remembers your tears. God remembers your tears. When you go through difficult times like these people in number one, God remember their tears. We read in 2 Kings chapter 20 of a man by the name of Hezekiah. It says from verse 1, I read the NIV, in those days Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, this is what the Lord says, put your house in order because you're going to die. You'll not recover. Now this is what God said. This is what, this is what God said. This is what God said. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Listen to his prayer. Remember, O Lord, how I walk before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what's good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. See, when you do what's right and you live by the principles of God's word, God doesn't forget that. And when crisis comes and it reduces you to tears and you come before God, God doesn't forget those tears. Yeah, God sees. God sees. God sees you crying in the middle of the night. God sees you. God sees you. God sees you. When you're doing your best to put your family together and things are not working out. God sees. God sees when you've been mistreated. And you've tried to do right. You've tried to walk righteously. You've tried to do what's right. But you come to this time, like Hezekiah, you've done right. You've lived right. But crisis is at your door. And when you come to God and you call upon God, I like this man. He doesn't just concede to what the prophet is saying. He doesn't just give in. He knows something about God, that God is a God who remembers. Oh, yeah. It's a God who remembers. Note what it says, verse 4. But Isaiah had left the middle court, and the word of the Lord came to him. Go back and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people. This is what the Lord, the God of your father David says, I've heard your prayer, and I've seen your tears. Ah, I'll heal you. On the third day from now, you'll go up to the temple, and I will add 15 years to your life. Hey, not only will I heal you, I'm going to give you extra 15 years to your life. Note, I'll add 15 years to life and I will deliver you and this city from the land of King Assyria. Not only am I going to bless you, Hezekiah, I'm going to bless everything that's associated with you. That's what God does when he sees your tears. Oh yeah, oh yeah. One person crying out to God and God comes through. Not only does he touch you, he touches people around you. Because God sees your tears. And I will defend you and this city from the hand of King Hezekiah. I will defend this city for my sake. 
and for the sake of my servant David. God, God goes back to covenant. God goes back to covenant. So God sees our tears. What about Hannah? Credible example. Hannah was married to a man by the name of Elkanah. Elkanah married two wives, Penina and Hannah. Bible tells us that Elkanah loved Hannah so much, more than he loved Penina. But then the twist to the story says, but the Lord had closed the womb of Hannah. Right? And uh, there was a problem. But Penina got children. Not one, not too many children. <laughs> then we pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 6. It says, and said, because the Lord had closed her womb, that's Hannah's womb, her rival, and I don't know why it uses the word rival. I don't know why it uses the word rival. Maybe somebody will tell us. And her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. You see, when people power up because the situation is better. You remember that, uh, is it uh, uh, soapy? Yeah, punku. How many of you remember punku? Maybe they'll explain. It's, it's a soap opera for this guy who was called Punko. Always high-minded. You remember? He always used to like to say, Hoyanko Tlaseko. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Almost asking people, how is it down there? You remember that? Yeah. So Penina is doing a Punko on Hannah. Be very careful when God has blessed you. Or when things are working out for you. Be very careful. Don't ever go into the punku mode. It's not good at all. That's what you're doing. Verse 7, this went on year after year. Hey! Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival, excuse me, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Hmm? Her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. See, see what I like about Hannah is that even if she was being provoked, even if she had the potential to feel embittered, she didn't take it out on Penina. Oh yeah. What she did, she took her trouble to the Lord. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Because you see, according to God's word, even when, even when you are being provoked, you know the words of Jesus are very difficult. It says if, if they hit you this side, give them the other side. Ha, Jesus. Ha. I'm afraid before I can turn, right hook. But what Jesus was saying is that um, empower the principles of God's word. If they, if they make you go one mile and they force you to go two miles, just go three miles. Turn the other cheek. Go three miles. 
What does Jesus say? He says, instead of responding in bitterness, instead of getting into their mode, go to a higher mode. Oh my goodness. I like this lady, Hannah. She doesn't take out her bitterness on Penina. She goes to the Lord. And she comes before the Lord. He says she's bitter of soul. My goodness. In bitterness of soul, verse 7, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. I tell you what, God hears those prayers. The prayers of pain, the prayers of anguish, prayers when you've been mistreated, you've been maligned, God hears those prayers. But you see, the condition is don't hate back. Don't try to revenge. Turn the other cheek. Walk the extra mile. Take your pain to the Lord. Wow. Wow. And it says, and she made a vow saying, oh Lord Almighty, if you'll only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son and I'll give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will be used on his head. And she kept on praying to the Lord. Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk. This is another opportunity she had to be angry. And Eli said to her, how long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. You know, one of the bigger challenges is that, you know, there are people who don't understand what we're doing, who make silly comments. If you're wise, you let them have their say. Don't get offended. Don't worry about them. Keep your focus on what you are asking for from the Lord. That did not deter you. Verse 15, he says, not so, my Lord. I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you've asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. Early in the morning, they arose and worshiped before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah lay with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Yeah. Oh, goodness me. God remembered her. It wasn't the faith of her husband. It was not even the faith of the priest. Just her faith. God remembered her. God remembered her tears. God hasn't forgotten about you, parent. Uh, uh. When the Lord remembers you, like in the instance of Hannah, all the barrenness will give way to fruitfulness. The seasons of difficulties and pain and trial will come to an end. Why? Because God remembers our tears. In Psalms 56 verse 8, it says, you keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. God fills you when you come to him in prayer. God is aware of your pain. Even if everybody around you misunderstands you, God understands your tears. And he collects those tears. 
and records those tears and God will remember you. I've often wondered in the book of Revelation when it says when we go to heaven, our tears will be wiped away. And that's because for every tear that has come out of your eyes, God collected them. And the day we go before him, he's going to make sure he wipes every tear away. As a parent, you may be having your hand on your head. Children are giving you problems. It's a nightmare. They don't hear you when you are crying out at night in prayer. They don't see you turning and tossing in your bed. Maybe you have a husband, a wife who not living right. Parents who are not doing what's right. You've prayed. And maybe like Noah, looks like it's taking too long. But if this word could be of an encouragement to you today, God will not forget you, Hannah. God sees your tears, Hannah. God hears you. That prayer in the middle of the night. He's a God who remembers. You are not forgotten. Let us pray.
just bow your heads with us as we pray today. We thank you, God, that you are a faithful God. And no matter what happens in our lives, you always remember us. I pray that you'll encourage somebody here, God, who feels discouraged, feel like life is not worth living. It's almost like it's not worth the effort. I pray that you'll encourage them today. That your hand will be upon their lives. And your strength will be upon them. Our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If you can take your seats, everybody, please, for a while. If you're here today and you sense in your heart that, you know what, my, my life is, is not going in the right direction. You may have tried in your own strength, in your own power to sort things out, but you're really not living for God in any way. And as you've been sitting in the service, you know that though you may have walked far from God, God is aware of you. God is interested in you. And God wants to change your life. Our heads bowed, our eyes closed, please. I want to ask you, if you're here today and you say, you know, I want to invite Christ in my life. I want him to change me, make me a child of God, set things right in my life. I'm just not happy with the way my life is going now. Would you please pray with me because I want to set that right today. If that's you, right where you are and you need the prayer, would you just raise your hand right where you are? Just raise it up. Let me pray for you. Thank you for those hands. Raise it way up. Raise it way up. Thank you, Lord. See, this is what we do in church. We are here because we are a people desperately in need for God to intervene in our lives. And he's the one who's able to intervene. May I ask the people who raise their hands, would you kindly please just stand on your feet where you are? Would you please just right where you are? Just stand on your feet. Stand on your feet all over the place. There's many of you. Just stand on your feet all over the place. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Bless you. I'm not in any way trying to embarrass you, but I, I, I really want to pray with you because, see, the decision you're making, it's an important decision. It's a life-changing decision that changes the direction of your life. May I invite you, please, just to come from where you are. Take all your belongings, all right? All your bag, your purse. Just make your way to the front. I want to pray with you right here in the front. Just come on.